Welcome to Every Album Ever with Mike and Alex. My name is Michael Masur, and I'm joined, as always, once again, over technology by my lovely, wonderful co-host, Alexander Volt. Say hello. Hello. This is Every Album Ever. The- <laughs> this is Every Album. I'll explain in a second. This is Every Album Ever, the podcast we're listening to. Every single album in the world, one artist at a time. That's a whole new discography per episode. And today, we're discussing every one album by... Mad Season. Mad Season. This is the first single easy peasy album discography we've done in a long time because as you can tell, I'm not in the same room as Alex and he's not in the same room as me. And it's a long story. It's a whole thing. Um, schedules got mixed up. I got tied up. I'm in a place uh, very far away from my home and uh, I don't know if I'll be coming back anytime soon. Uh, I'll be coming back soon, but I'll be back here again. Um, we're figuring things out. And, and because of that, we just spent the last hour re-remembering how to do this over yes. Skype. <laughs> Fucking nightmare. <laughs> sucks, dude. It sucks. Uh, but we're talking about Mad Season. And do you, do you know them? Do you really listen to them before? I have never listened to them before. And never. I, you know, you're out and about doing your thing. And... Uh, I, I was like, you you let me pick, and I was like, yep. you know what? It's been a while since we've done some grunge, and uh, this seems to fit the bill of what we've done, what we do here. I've I've never listened to the album before, and uh, yeah, it is exactly that. We've done a lot of grunge here. Please check it all. We have a whole playlist actually for grunge stuff. So look at that on the YouTube. I'm gonna bold bold guess. Alex doesn't like them. I do like them, actually. Shut the fuck up. Why do you... <laughs> what? <laughs> How can uh, you like this and not Temple the Dog, you son of a bitch? <laughs> I wasn't expecting this to be, like, jammy and spacey and trippy. And, uh, trippy? It does... Where's the trippy? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go on. Yeah, it's in there. We'll get to it when we get to okay. the songs. But um, there is some blues stuff, but it wasn't... It didn't feel as excessive as Temple of the Dog. Um, I felt I, it more. Incredible. You felt it more. More. I felt it more. I I will say I think Temple of the Dog is more polished, like a a proper band. Yeah. This does have, uh, like, you know, a side band vibe to it, but as just this little part of grunge history, if you will. I was, I was impressed. This is just how it fucking always happens with us, where <laughs> I love one thing and you don't like it, and then the other, it's, it's happened with Embrace and Rights of Spring, where I'm a huge <laughs> Embrace guy, and you were, and I, I wasn't too big on Rights of Spring, even though I still yeah. like them. Uh, this keeps happening. Uh, I, I'm making it sound like I hated this. I didn't hate this at all. I think it's, it's mm-hmm. still a good album, um, but. Uh, Overall, it's just like it's just so Pearl Jammy, and I have my I have a lot of problems with Pearl Jam, even though I'm I love grunge, and uh, I don't know. There's something about it felt like uh, I don't know. I like I like some songs that I'm gonna give it up to, but there's a lot mm-hmm. of it that fucking bored the shit out of me. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's uh, it is this interesting group. Um, not as interesting as Mother's Love Bone. I think that Me Mother Love Bone. Mother Love Bone. Um, yeah, that is this like the zaniest like Pearl Jam adjacent band. Um, yeah, I think I was 
just expecting something that leaned more into Alice, uh, Alice and Shane's. And yeah. this was like a little bit off the beaten path. It doesn't do anything revolutionary. I wouldn't say like, oh my God, like you've never heard of, you never listen to that Mad Season album, yeah. but as a Alice in Chains fan, and I, I just thought it was a, a neat little, neat little album. Yeah, it's it's not like a you can't just say it's a if you like Alice in Chains or like this. It's like if you like Lane Staley like this probably. Yeah, uh, there's only a couple couple moments I felt it, it felt super Alice in Chainsy, uh, mm-hmm. although Lane always sounds like, like Lane. Um, this album I have a. A little bit of history with my I, I mean i i go way too too far back with Allison chains and i was a wee little boy and this one came around a little bit later i heard this album in like the background of my house during like the most chaotic dangerous awful years of my childhood <laughs> so like that's, part of it's that's like, the way it always is with albums with you i suppose <laughs> you're right but <laughs> The difference is, this wasn't my band. This was my brother's band. And yeah. I, I would always hear it like in the background somewhere. Uh, and I didn't care much for it then. Um, and going back to it now, uh, I like it way more now for sure than mm-hmm. I did back then. But uh, I don't know. There's, uh, I feel like if I liked Pearl Jam more, I'd like this. It doesn't like, it's, it doesn't like it sounds like Pearl Jam. It's just, it feels closer to Pearl Jam than Nelson Chains. Yeah. Um, you've used the term fan maker before i don't think this is like a fan maker by by any means this is no kind of like if you if you really appreciate and love those like big four grunge bands or even three out of the four the way i do um yeah yeah i was uh way more like mellow than i was expecting so very mellow yeah uh but we have a little bit of history here from our history man, Tom Osmond. You should all go and follow because he does a bunch of work for us and he's a very nice fellow. Um, there's like, uh, it's not like a, he's not, like, not an extensive history, but he, uh, there's a general backstory. It's all very sad, by the way, but uh, he also got some quotes from Mark Lanigan from, from his, from his memoir, ugh, from his memoir, sing backwards and weep, uh, which I've, I've neglected Mark Lanigan and Screaming Trees my entire life, never on purpose, just didn't get around to it. And now I'm like itching. Like I need more of this guy. I, I really want to listen to Screaming Trees. Full confession, I probably like read he died and then like forgot about it. And and then I was reading this. I was like, what the hell? I was, we did the, the new Queens of the Stone Age album. And now you're talking about him like he's alive, like an idiot. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, he died last year. Yeah, yeah, he, he, I, he just died. Yeah, so I don't know if I like heard and then forgot about it or or what I did with that information. But rereading it again, I was like, God damn it! Yeah, yeah, that's one. Of, he's just one of those names. Um, he's just such, such an important guy for that whole time period, and. Not once did I come across Screaming Trees. I mean, other than the name, which is uh, mm-hmm. embarrassing. Embarrassing. But yeah, um, he has a lot of stories. He was very close to Lane before he died. And spoiler alert, it gets very sad. But um, yeah, a little bit of backstory here. Um, it is a side project. It's a little, it's a sort of a super group um, made up of, of course, Lane Staley from Allison Chains on vocals, Mike McCready of Pearl Jam on guitar, John Baker Saunders on bass who would later be a bassist in the walkabouts and drummer from screaming trees, Barrett Martin, 
and uh and mark mark lanagan would would contribute some vocals on the album as well as some lyrics and he would guest he was a guest vocalist in in, in some shows like i think it was after lane died so he's always just kind of been a, a, a strongly associated with them mm-hmm. yeah and they and they formed from rehab i believe they formed out of rehab this is yeah the most grunge origin story ever of all time yeah, yeah. so uh, it was mccready who met he the met, he met G- yeah saunders he met him in, in rehab then he got got um martin in there but they i think <laughs> i guess mccready apparently he hope he brought in lane hoping that being around sober musicians would push him to get sober. And <laughs> well, I mean, fuck that, that didn't happen, but it, it's man. I didn't know. I never knew so many, I never knew any like the stories or the details of the years before Lane died. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't realize that his last show was like 96 with Allison chains. Yeah. That was his last performance ever. And that was a good, that's a good minute before he died. So there was a yeah. whole lot in between there. Uh, a very lengthy and brutal downward spiral there. So yeah, that's basic. I mean, there's not much backstory, much more backstory than that. We might as well jump into the album itself and do all the stuff and the whatnots. You ready yep. for that? I Hell ready. yes. So they got the one album that came out in 1995 and then, here it is. Shit, I didn't pull it up because this is usually Alex's job. God damn it. Hold on, hold on. Here we go. This not is, today. Not today. This is 1995's Above. That is a, the tiniest, quietest bass line. And this song takes like three years to start. It does, which I thought they were going to come out swinging. And uh, it does not. Yeah, yeah, it's got these um, these vibes on there. Marimbas or whatever the hell you they are. Um, yeah, very uh, reminiscent. Yeah, very reminiscent of like Led Zeppelin, No Quarter, or uh, Black Sabbath's Planet Caravan. Those are like the big two, I think. Of. Oh yeah, you're not wrong. I think those are significantly better in every possible way. But I get the vibe is very similar. I'm here. I'm here for the vibe. I, yeah, I'm here for vibraphone. Vibraphone. That, there we go. Yeah. This song is like so, you know, seven plus minutes, and it takes a real minute to get going. But it, I'm, I'm reminded every time I hear it that I do like it. Oh, I'll shut up. Because that Yarl. Go. So, this isn't like a, a a perfect representation of the album, but it's a good it's a good fifty percent of the albums is like this. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. It's it's weird. It's not a a hard album to pin down by any means, but I think there's enough. For, well, for me, there's enough variety on the album to get me through it. Uh, we should also say we're doing like the deluxe version where mm-hmm. 
get the the Lanigan tracks yeah. thrown on there. Yeah. He does sound great. He always sounds fucking great. Yeah. Usually I like the the guns blazing openers, but uh Yeah. As a softer like opener, this this works for me. Yeah. Alright, I guess in my eyes, in my eyes, shit. Uh so that song, it does get louder than that. It just takes a long time. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it as an opener at all. <laughs> I, I, I think it's a fine song. I think it's a fine song. But holy shit. <laughs> I mean, especially when you get the, the fucking follow-up. Oh, what the hell is the follow-up called? X-Ray Mind. X-Ray Mind. Which, yes. honestly, I don't feel like that's a, a you know a, an opener song either. But it feels way more like what you would kind of expect. Um, it's got way more energy. And I... Man, that song takes me back. Who boy, does it? Oh yeah, I remember that song quite a bit. I like I like those two songs together because you have this like dreamy, like soft psychedelic stuff, and then X Ray Mind has this, you know, opens up with these tribal drums, if yeah. that's what they're called, and you get more like flanger guitar. Yeah. To me, it's this nice surreal blend of like grunge hard rock and more dreamy stuff which which i feel like isn't really done that often Mm -hmm. in the the grunge music scene you would think it would but i off the top my head there's probably a million examples but and my in my world off the top my head i can't think of too many Mm -hmm. yeah especially with the I don't know. There's something about the way this one's produced too, where when I think of grunge, I think dirty. I mean, that's mm, how it started sure. out anyway. It wasn't until Nevermind that things started getting super clean. Mm. But uh, this is produced like a blues album. It's produced like a like a hard rock album when it gets loud, where the vocals are so super fucking pointed and up front and louder than everything else. And everything else is really shiny. Uh, the bass and drums kind of uh, hold everything together and guitar is like ambient a little bit mm-hmm. in, in, on the periphery. It sounds really nice for like the, you know, the like the opener wake up and a lot of the other quieter songs. It does sound really good. But for, for the heavier songs, which I, the, I mean, every almost every heavy song in here I do like a lot. I think they're some of the best songs here. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, they, they don't punch. They don't fucking crunch. They don't kick. They don't have any kind of oomph because that production's too bluesy. I think that's a, a fair assessment. Um, maybe they just felt like the rest of the album was so so jammy that maybe this by the nature of these these heavy songs that they would they would kick more but um mm-hmm. yeah i think that i think that's fair you know you put a, a lifeless dead against like a, a man in a box it probably doesn't doesn't hit as hard definitely doesn't hit as hard although i probably controversial take i probably let take lifeless dead over man in the box you know i'm not talking i'm not talking about song song quality here this this production <laughs> this production i do I'm, i am biased but i definitely do like lifeless dead quite a bit um no it's a, I, I think they're both great songs just to uh drive home your production point <laughs> yeah uh, uh on a, also on a, speaking go ahead oh totally side note if anyone's seen the Barbie movie, 
Ryan Gosling <laughs> is a great Yarl. Oh, I've not seen it. I now I only want to see because of that. I want him just doing Yarls on an album. I think it would really be fucking hilarious. <laughs> God damn it! Now I have not to fucking watch the Barbie movie. Yeah, uh, now you got to watch Ryan Gosling sing Matchbox Matchbox Twenties Push. Oh my God! Oh, all he, right, sold. Fucking nails it in the most like hilarious way possible. But that's my Yarl Yarl rant. Bravo, bravissimo. Uh, sp- actually, speaking of Life of Lifeless Dead and Alice in Chains, uh, the most characteristic Alice in Chains thing in the world is the the harmonies. The, they use perfect ugh, perfect fifth harmonies, which is just a power chord if you're a guitar player. Mm-hmm. That's like every. That's almost every harmony that Allison Chains does, or at least like the ones that when you think of Allison Chains harmonies, you think of that one. Um, they're all over Lifeless Dead, all over. And I'm I'm so fucking tired of that that harmony. It's just like I get it. You're Lane Staley. You do that thing, <laughs> but yeah. it's still. I mean, it's cool. If and now it's 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 kind of the point where I think if anyone else does it, they'll be like they'll probably get shooted to like oh you were heavily inspired by Allison Chains kind of thing. So it's cool. Allison Chains harmony now. Yeah, it's basically what it is. One of the few moments on the album that I think was like that's super Allison Chainsy is. Uh, there's a section on two minutes 30, uh, but still one of my favorite songs here, man. I don't know anything. It's gotta be the most nineties grunge thing ever. Uh, especially I, that main riff, which I love by the way. Yeah. I still love it. Um, the most interesting section of that song is probably, I didn't timestamp it, but at a certain point, the percussion is like, sounds like they're banging on like pipes and all sorts of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, brutal in the way, uh, swans or maybe like a mm-hmm. heavier Mike Mike um sorry Tom Waits I'm all I'm yeah. all tongue tied. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's not like heavy in that, that way but it's still, still like a cool little little add yeah. on there. The songs like that that I I would kind of crave chunkier production. Uh uh I do like that song it's super bitter, it's super solid, but man that's a good example of basically every song in here is fucking 5 minutes at least and it's it feels pretty unnecessary with with songs like that, where with, with songs that are just mean and and cr- mean and heavy, um, mm-hmm. it feels like I don't know. I, I kind of crave them to be shorter when they're they're juxtaposed with these long jammy songs, um, but instead they're just all so long. <laughs> so it's not even like boring. Well, I, I don't know because it's like it's not like they're meandering or jamming on on songs like I don't know anything. It's just first chorus first chorus first chorus like over and over again it's just like all right dude you have a lot of lyrics i get it fucking edit sorry 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 that's disrespectful he's dead but it's a simpler time mike was it was it simpler alex how simple was it no it, was, it wasn't because we've covered crazy crazy bands from the 90s that is true we've covered a lot of 90s bands um so go ahead oh I, while we're on that part of the album I and jammy songs long day gone is just like coffee shop grunge. Mean long gone day. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um and I love it. There's yeah. bongos, there's yeah. saxophones, it and it works. Sure does. That's my favorite song on the album. That's that one. Oh yeah. So that one has like the best story about it too, because that that's um that's Mark Lanigan singing lead on kind of trading with Lane singing lead. Mm-hmm. And they wrote it together. And there's a quote from from Mark that I got here. It's so wild 
what this song led to. This song and him being a part of this song, what this led to, it's fucking ridiculous. So so what happened was was Lane invited Mark to the studio saying that he wanted to write a song with him. They kicked out producer uh, Brett Eliason. And Lane said, let's write a song. You write a line, then I'll write one and we'll just do it like that. So Mark says, he played the music in the background and we began. He wrote a line, handed me the paper, and then I'd write one and hand it back to him. Whatever one of us wrote informed the other of what the next line would be. It was a cool and interesting exercise. Neither of us had ever written this way. When the lyrics were done, he hit record on the tape machine and we got it in one go. All in all, it took us 45 minutes to write and record a song we called Long Gone Day. When it came out later that year, Mad Seasons Above became a big selling album with a bonafide hit single, River of Deceit, in which we'll talk about that song in a second. Uh, and he says, around six months after its release, I started getting large, totally unexpected royalty checks in the mail. To my shock, the guys had given me full royalty points on the record. Since it went gold, that meant a shitload of cash was coming my way. I couldn't believe it. I did stuff on people's records all the time, and you were usually just doing it for friends, not expecting anything in return. What these guys had given me for less than two hours of less than two hours time, time that, that was spent having fun, not working, wasn't heard of in my world. An extremely classy and generous move. I was eternally grateful. Uh, and then he says, <laughs> I found out uh, where the checks are coming from at Sony and made sure that they kept being sent directly to me, not my accountant. That was an exceedingly stupid and foolish move, but such was my desperation for money at the time. I couldn't bear to let the tax man have a cut. It was a decision that would come back to seriously bite me in the ass. It bites him in the ass. The tax man comes, all right, dude? The tax man always comes. Yep. <laughs> so the tax man came. <laughs> So when he when he was finally caught, he says after almost a year at a living. Oh, when what year was this? This was a long time after. Sometime later. Yeah, this is a good a good amount of time later. Uh, he says after almost a year at living treatment facilities and halfway houses in California, much of it funded through the continued kindness and generosity of Courtney Love. Check out our episode on Hole. Um, and Nirvana, sure. Uh, I was tracked down by, de by detectives from the criminal branch of the IRS, still newly clean. It was a shock to find out that I was facing significant prison time for tax evasion. The back taxes on those mad season royalty checks I had hidden from my accountants years before had ballooned with penalties and interest accrued to almost a half a million bucks. Holy my tax shit. Attorney got the oh, yes. A tax attorney got them to drop it to 50 grand cash, and I was given a month to come up with a payment. First of all, hold on. That's the shadiest shit ever when the government's like, all right, just give, me, just give us 50 grand in cash. <laughs> That's the shadiest shit ever. Uh, dealing with a few collection agencies, some of them are just, yeah, you can do that sometimes if your medical bills have gotten out of hand. If you get the right person and you're just like, look, I got, I got $5. I'm oversimplifying, but I got yeah. $5 to my name. Do you want it? And all this, take it and call it a day. Jesus. I mean, this is America. We, we run, we, we are all criminals and we're run by criminals. They, uh, so they're fucking caponing Mark Lanigan. They're caponing Mark Lanigan. <laughs> so he said, he, he says, uh, I might as well have tried to swim underwater from Japan to Australia, holding my breath as to get that much dough together. At zero hour, my producer friend from Houston, Randall Jamail, stepped in. His publishing company offered me a songwriting deal for that exact amount, and the check went directly to the government. That's how we got out of that jam that was set up years and years before with this song. <laughs> this one song. It's fucking Ooh, amazing. It's, it's crazy <laughs> hearing about people who have... Success and just 
that shit doesn't last. That's it, man. The money is just literally one tiny piece of a puzzle. If you're a complete and utter mess, you're going to do that. You're going to fucking make and you're going to sell, make and smoke crack like Mark Lanigan and Lane. And you're going to lose all your money. That's just what's going to happen. <laughs> Holy shit, man. Drugs are expensive. Anyway, the song's cool. I like the song. The song is, uh, yeah, really awesome. Yeah, it's it's the most different thing on the album. It's very hippy-dippy in a way. And I never, since I never listened to Screaming Shoes, I never really appreciated Lanigan's voice. I love his voice. Yeah, yeah his, his, his voice, voice is great. great. Um, Segwaying into the, the like bonus tracks, if you will. I think, oh, right. I think for Queens of the Stone Age fans, uh, Black, Black Book of the uh, Black Book of Fear is kind of a cool song because you can see the influence Lanigan had on Queens of the Stone Age where, where it's crazy because as we've documented, Josh is such like a strong dominating presence and for Lanigan to kind of have his signature style and, and offer it up in, in Queens of the Stone Age is impressive. That is big. He was on how many albums was he on? I know he was on like a bunch. He was on, He's like, on a bunch. The big yeah. Ones. yeah. At least the big ones. Um rated R and Songs for the Deaf. Yeah, most uh, most of the albums. Minimum he'll have like an appearance. So Yeah. Uh, I could actually couldn't stand Black Book of Fear. Um, not not for me. The same with Slip Away. I didn't like that one, but I, I, I did like Locomotive quite a bit though. Yeah. Um Locomotive is the strongest track. I think Black Book of Fear does go into that that blues territory. Sure um, does. Slip away. I think the the guitar solos kind of help that stand out from the other ones. They're big, powerful, echoey, really like dominant guitars on Slip Away. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so back to the main. The main record. Uh, this is uh, rec- recorded, mixed, and co-produced by Brett um, Elias Eliasson, which I who I mentioned earlier, um, who's in Beninia House with Tom Morello. Check out our Rage Gets a Machine episode from a fucking million years ago. And Audio uh, Slave. And Audio Slave. Yeah, I gotta forget that one. Um, Where the time was, goes. I know. I know. He also worked. Um, he's part of the, te- the technical team for Pearl Jam's Vitology. Um, recorded Screaming Trees of Dust. Makes a bunch of the, uh, those endless bootleg slash not bootleg live albums. Pearl Jam released according to, to our boy Tom. Um, it was mastered by Howie Weinberg, who mastered over two thousand records, including Nirvana's Nevermind. Check out that episode. Uh, Ella Cool J's Mops to Knock You Out. Special Pumpkins Melancholy. Madonna's Music and Yaya's yeah, yeah, Show Your Bones. Homeboy has got some credits. Jesus Christ. Pretty- where do you even find? I'm assuming mastering albums doesn't isn't hard. <laughs> Attack Alex for that, please. <laughs> if you've mastered over two thousand albums in your lifetime, well, it is a it's a so if I my some of the some of those he's not working as hard as the other ones. <laughs> yeah, for sure, I bet a lot of them. Mastering is interesting. Because uh, I won't touch mastering, but I'll mix. But mixing is harder. Mixing is a creative mm-hmm. process. Mastering is like a technical process. Yeah. Um, you you can put like you can um, like steer the sound. You can kind of 
control like broad, very broad strokes with mastering. Whereas mm-hmm. with mixing, you can make tiny little crazy turns. You can do anything with mixing. Mastering is like you have the finished thing and you can kind of just shape it to, to seem a certain way. Um, it's, and you have to, and the most important, the, the main thing that mastering does is just, it, it evens out everything. It levels everything out. It brings up the quiet parts to match the loud parts. So when you he- when you hear it, it all, all the dynamics match up. Um, mm-hmm. Without mastering, it it's just, just it sounds, sounds like, like shit. shit. But mixing is where all the creativity comes in. So also, I think mastering is probably an easier process, just a very different one. This man has more Grammys than than anybody needs. That's that's insane. <laughs> uh, really, Howie Weinberg, Howie Weinberg? I guess if you've done over two thousand albums, you're bound yeah, to rack that's up like, a few. A few Grammys. That's just playing the lottery. That that's he's playing the, that that numbers game on that one. Hell yeah! <laughs> Jeez, man. Also, uh, but Danzig yeah. three. How the gods kill. <laughs> he he did that one. He did, yeah. Check out that episode. Hell yeah! Fucking great album. Uh, right, although he that's... did maybe he did a bad job on that one. I didn't love the way that album came out. <laughs> the quality wise. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, this this album did very well. Uh, like we told in the story that Mark told, that Mark Lanigan told, um, went gold, had a hit, and the hit was "River of Deceit." What do you think of that song? Um, you know what? It's it's okay. It's not my least favorite. It's the most country twangy song on yeah. the album. If anything, that's like a misrepresentation of the album. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't like it. It could, it's catchy. It will I'll yeah. be humming it if I hear it. I get it. Like I I get it, but it's just and it's very pearl jammy. It's very guitar centric. It has that. I mean, it's Mike uh, Mike McCready. He's he is pearl jam a pearl jam man. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes sense that he's playing it like that. But uh, that song really reminds me of Hunger Strike from Temple of the Dog. Not as in the way it sounds, but of the way that the type of song on this type of album where it's like the, the ballad song, the one that's um, kind of the most famous song on the album, like hunger strike is probably the most famous temple of the dog song. Uh, and both, and both those songs, I don't really care for. I don't really care for hunger strike all that much. <laughs> he, uh, he knows, he knows these super groups are going to need a hit single and he just keeps them in his back pocket and uh, gets it out of the way and then does the rest of the album. He's really good at that. Mike Mike is uh, really really good at that. Even if <laughs> I don't like it personally, uh, "I'm Above" is the other song that Mark Lanigan sings on. I don't. He might he might sing on a third, but I think it's just those two. Uh, he's he's doing harmony. He's doing harmonies with Lane for like yeah. a, a good chunk of it. I find it a bit distracting. I think it's kind of a waste to have these, you know, two iconic voices. And it's it's by the numbers grunge. There's nothing nothing wrong with it, but there's nothing where you're like, oh my god, that's you know that's going on my mixtape. I think there's something wrong with it. The, at two fifteen, there the first section, the first time the section comes on, which it, it comes back, it is just a complete and utter helter skelter ripoff. <laughs> I mean, holy god, it stinks! I can't, I can't believe that's like the title track. Yeah, although. I uh I don't expect much from title tracks. <laughs> We've learned the hard way, I guess, many times on this yes, podcast. Yes, yes. And then yeah, I think I think artificial red is the other 
recurring here. Holy shit, yes. It is the most bluesy, jammy song on the album. It is a blues song through and through. Holy and shit. That, that is not that is not for me, but that's like one song I can skip on an otherwise enjoyable coffee shop grunge. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's coffee shop grunge. That's exactly it what it is. It kind of, yeah, you know, if you cut out Lifeless Dead and I don't know anything, like, throw yeah. this on, on a, at a Starbucks. No one's gonna, no one's gonna say yeah. anything. Because even um, November Hotel, which is like, it's an instrumental and it's kind of lengthy. It has a, some decent build and it gets kind of groovy. Even then, it's not like hard or heavy. I mean, it's heavy, I guess, but it's not, it doesn't really it's not like grunge heavy. It's just like, oh uh, yeah, it's nineties rock heavy. Yeah, it, it picks up and it gets gets rocking, but um yeah, November that's a good example of like a type of, of jamming rock and roll that I enjoy more. Really? I mean it's a fine song. I don't I actually don't mind it. Um mm. I mean, especially when you compare it to like yeah, artificial red or something where I'm just I'm just complete off I'm, I'm out, but uh, closes with all alone, which I get, I get it. I guess it's just not for me. I, <laughs> it's, it reminds me of like a, a song, like a, like an, I don't want to say an African song, a song you would, you would put on in a movie where they're visiting Africa. Mm, I went for, uh, one, when, when someone is dies and they're, they're entering the, the good, the good, <laughs> whatever good place is for you yeah. when you die. It's very uh, ethereal and dreamy, and that's it's exactly that as well. Uh, what I find jarring is, like I said earlier, how fucking loud the vocals are. They come in so loud, and it's this really super angelic, gentle, quiet thing, and then just comes in super loud it's fucking obnoxious you think it was just like we got lane stanley we're just gonna stanley whatever i don't pronounce names he's dead who cares i've given up i'm i'm that old now i've given up saying names correctly um but yeah just like uh we got lane where that's what people are here for we're gonna we're gonna crank the vocals yeah i imagine this is i almost i almost wonder if it's I almost wonder if it's like a remaster issue too. Like if you, if you just listen to the normal version, because mm, I, I, I know, know one, I know some remasters is just like an arms race to be loud instead of focusing on the intricacies and presenting it in the way that it should be. That's very true. Uh, yeah, most remasters. I don't know. I think most of them I'm fine with, and then there's some that that drive me crazy like Alice in Chains Dirt which I've complained about in the past um, and there's some that, that kind of do it right like sorry to mention Slint once again check out that episode when they remastered Spiderland uh, most of it sounds like you know if you're not paying the super close attention it sounds mostly the same but on the opening track you can hear there. there's actually backup vocals in, in Breadcrumb Trail uh, on the re- and you could hear it in the remastered version you can't you could basically not hear it at all in the original which is interesting the the funniest most bullshit thing i've ever heard someone say about a remaster was uh you you can hear them like you can hear like the board mix i'm like shut the fuck up you can can hear the what like the board mixing when they're like messing with the knobs and i'm like 
the f- no, you fucking can't shut up. I feel the same about the people who, uh, who like. I think the 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 the, the age old claim of vinyl versus whatever, it, high quality digital, for example, mm-hmm. where it's like, I think it mostly. I think the sound you're hearing is your record player, not necessarily the vinyl. I think that's that's kind of how I feel about that. Uh, throwing my hat into that conversation, there is like a warmth with vinyl. I'm not a prude about it. Obviously, you know, I'm going to listen to my streaming music because it's easy and accessible, but there's just like a, it's like a, it's like a good, when you get like a, a, a fire going on a, on a fireplace. I, I totally feel that the same way, especially about the ritual of having to flip sides and giving your ears a, like a mini break there. Mm-hmm. I think, th- I think there's been plenty of like, uh, you know, Pepsi taste tests of a vinyl, like and they, using the exact same sound system, testing the two. You're probably not going to distinguish the two, but I think, um, with most people, you have your record player and that sounds way different than your stereo. Uh, in which for, case I think it's, that's probably neat on its own, but for sure. Yeah. I'm in the camp of I think there's a difference, but I'm not going to die on that hill by any means. Yeah, it's also just a fun hobby too. <laughs> the artwork is bigger. Um, I like looking at lyrics sometimes, and uh, yeah, yeah, it is much fun, much more fun. I'm, I'm I'm very tempted to start buying them again. I shouldn't, and I don't know if I will, but I might. If you if you if you stop traveling, I think you should. If you're traveling at the rate you're traveling, then you absolutely should not. <laughs> I'll just yeah, I'll just carry 14 suitcases with me, all with you know. You'll be uh, like a, a Wes Anderson character in a movie. Oh my god! Oh god, a fate worse than death. <laughs> uh, what else do we got? That's basically it. I mean, the yeah. the, the they re they remastered the the album and they put out a bunch of bonus tracks and live tracks, and there's also the DVD. Uh, I forget what it's called. Live at the Moor. Ah, there we go. Uh, I'm actually curious to see that too, because I mean, they they played so they did not really play no live not really. all that much. I have a habit of buying live DVDs while we're recording, but not today. Not, not I today. will eventually, but not uh. The beautiful thing is, no one, no one. Well, there's kind of an uptick in physical media, but for the most part, people don't want them. So like, you can get these concert. Like I've never paid more than like five dollars on my impulse. Tim Buckley. Oh yeah. Oh, it was just the Buckley boys. Yeah. Tim and Jeff. Yeah. I was like, I need to. Didn't pay more than five dollars. It's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. So they, they didn't. They never really officially broke up until I guess there was an interview with Lane in like '99 where he confirmed it. But it was always like they couldn't get shit together. Everybody was busy. Lane was getting way, way, way worse. Uh, uh, how worse, you asked? Well, uh, we have some what? more stories from Mark Lanigan here. All right. And oh my god. <laughs> so this is this is what he's this is this is what he, is what he's, he says when not developing songs with the with the band he mean he's talking about screaming trees um i continued making and selling crack whenever i was not working Fuck. i was spending most of my free time smoking crack and shooting heroin around the clock with lane uh, uh, uh <laughs> i didn't realize mark lanigan was so cool no didn't know either but now we do and it gets worse uh so he 
we went to go visit Lane in his place, and he says, uh, "When I got there, I did our secret, our secret personal sequence of knocks on the door. Already red flag. I mean, it's the most drugged up thing to have your own secret knock." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you even says, do uh, drugs if you don't have a secret knock? That's true. That's, I don't believe you do. Uh, he says, uh, "Yeah, did a sequence of uh, sequence of knocks on the door and heard him shout from down the hall, come in, God damn it!" That in itself shocked me because he would never, never leave the door unlocked. I came in, locked the door, and cautiously called his name. And he responded. He said he was in the bathroom, and he, he said he asked him, "Why was the door unlocked, bro?" He says, "Bro, That's, it's, it feels weird people calling people bro in the nineties. Why was yeah. the door unlocked, bro?" And he says, so I can get out of here in a fucking hurry if I have to. Uh, I entered the bathroom to, to the strange sight of him lying on his stomach on the floor, head behind the shitter, staring intently at a tiny hole in the wall. What's going on, brother? Why would you have to get out of here? Quiet, man. They're back there. Wait a minute. Wait a minute and be quiet. They'll come out again. Who are they? He was. Uh, I whispered back. The fucking spiders, man. I was asleep, and when I woke up, they were coming out of my arm. And apparently hijinks ensued after that uh oh my god so yeah i think he like he he convinced him to to leave and he lied to him and said that he was gonna get the place fumigated or something i mean it's just holy shit that holy shit dude the most philip k dick scanner darkly <laughs> story i've i've heard dude that, I mean, happened, that, is, in real, that happened in real life yeah that's it's full-on crack psychosis i mean holy shit dude uh so um he he did that deal with uh randall jamal that helped him pay off the irs a few years later he was uh he was recording with him again uh he, actually no he was in a few years later he was actually he made the deal with randall who paid off the debt and then a few years later randall cashed in on it he's like all right here's the thing that i paid for here's the thing so he was. He says he was. Um, he was in Houston, filling, fulfilling his end of the bargain. And he says one night in my room at the Holiday Inn, I got a phone call from Lori Davis, my huge-hearted, long-suffering accountant, the only person from my time in the trees who continued to care enough to work with me. And she said, "Uh, Mark, please sit down. I'm so sorry. So sorry, but I have some terrible news, and it's going to hurt. I'm so so sorry." And he asked Lane. She said, "Yes, honey, he's gone." Uh, it was a call I expected for years, but it destroyed me nonetheless. His loss of the void. I felt. I felt every day since. I expect. I always will. Uh, God, damn. Yeah, Lane was thirty-four, two thousand two. Man, yeah, I've outlived Lane. Yeah, um, yeah. I didn't realize those two were so close either. So neither did I. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I remember when he. I remember when he died. It was a. The news rocked my home because of my brother. I was coming. I was not really into Alice and Shane's yet. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the most, most random performance did it for me. Um, I don't know what it was. It was one of those like made up VH1 award shows. And mm-hmm. it was Alice and Shane's with uh, Phil Ensemble. Yeah. However you say his name. Ensemble, yeah. Yeah, doing wood. And there was just something about that where I was like, mm-hmm. do I like this band? And then I went and listened. I was like, I do like this band. Yeah, shit. Holy crap. Also, get another, yeah. What a bold choice. You have this like madman and the song you picked is wood and he, and he killed it. I mean, he's a, 
He's a phenomenal vocalist. I, I fucking love Phil Anselmo. I really do. <laughs> he's, a, he's such an interesting guy. Uh, and a scary dude, but holy shit, he's a killer vocalist. But yeah, so each member kind of went on to do some stuff. Um, some of it ends sad as not surprising. John Baker Saunders had a heroin relapse and died from an overdose in 1999. And he was 44 then. Um, in 97, though, uh, Martin McCready and Saunders, they tried to revive Mad Season with a new singer. Didn't really pan out, obviously. And then they did some kind of, like, they did a couple of reunions. One of them was with Chris Cornell on vocals, I believe. Um, they had like Duff McKeegan in there also for another reunion. All of them sort of fizzled out. And some of them were like one-off performances with just like um, McCready and Martin, I believe. Uh, but yeah, Brett, uh, Barrett Martin continued playing with Screaming Trees. Uh, well, when they were a band, of course, uh, went out to form uh, Twatara with Peter Buck of REM. And then uh, Tom says, he says, uh, there have, of course, been a, a bunch of other projects, including his Barrett, Barrett Martin group. Um, he is a drummer, after all. He was, and, and this is the most fucking mind-blowing, shocking, confusing part of it all. He was ordained as a Zen monk in 2000. Did not, not see that, that coming. coming. Who could have? You, you, what, what? <laughs> is, it, is that not the most logical conclusion to a life of crack in heroin though i, I saw, saw the crack spiders come but not the not the coming. Coming. yeah <laughs> i know oh shit uh tom notes here he says mike mccready continued to rule the rock world of pearl jam of course um and has guested on many other projects projects including Soundgarden's king animal and he notes here oh yippee because if you remember from our Episode where I debated Tom in Germany. He did not like that album at all, and I did. So fuck you, Tom. Sorry, I'm kidding. I love you. Um, yeah, that's basically it. Uh, of course, Lanigan died in 2022, and after being legendary and having a very successful solo solo career, working with Queens of Stone Age, and then in Screaming Trees, of course. Let me just say it's it's very rude of Mike McCready to remind people he's still alive by playing that song all the time. Oh, what's oh, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm just I went for the low hanging fruit there. He's I mean, he did outlive everybody. I he is still, too. He's technically still alive. <laughs> he sure is. He's doing well. I mean, he got clean pretty pretty early on, so good for him. Yeah, that's one of the things that Lanigan noted here uh, when he did some shows with Matt Season is that he, he was super intimidated by especially by McCready because he managed they, they were both in the thick of it at the same time and then McCready got sober and clean and Lanigan was worse than ever so it's kind of like looking Fuck. at what could have been if you just try you know worked at it you know for smoking being a crackhead I think he I think he had a pretty great career fantastic absolutely you can yeah. only dream of having a career that great while on crack it's it's amazing yeah, it's like him and old dirty bastard. That's it. That is it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there's others. There's Whitney Houston, you know. No, yeah, yeah there's, there's others for sure. <laughs> but the ones we care about: ODB, Mark Lanigan, and even ODB. Oh man, what, what a what a life! He liked it raw, man. What can I say? He he let you know. Oh boy, did he ever! Uh. But yeah, that's that's basically the, that's all of it. I mean, yet another grunge band that ended in tragedy, but blew up pretty quickly out of nowhere. They, I mean, they didn't play that many gigs before they went in to record that album. They, they kind of 
Yeah, that was fast. I guess, I guess they, they got, got the star power. power. They don't have to, yeah. you know. They don't, they don't got to yeah. do the hard work. Yeah, that, that bums me out. Because, like, gah, whatever. It's fine. It's a fine album. All right? It's a fine album. I, I don't think it's fucking... I think it's overrated as fuck, completely. But I think it's a fine album. I don't I don't even know where this stands with with normal people. And, yeah, nor do I. Yeah. Because it didn't uh, do well. I, I, I like it, though. It's, it didn't change my world by any means, but I was uh, just like that Robert Redford meme. I smile and head nod. That was good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's kind of how I am with Mother Love Bone. We just ha- seem to have opposing views on every grunge band we talk about. I think with time, I do kind of appreciate how zany that first Mother yeah. Love Bone album. It is like the the, the, the fucking wackiest. Yeah. It was before grunge was a thing. It was still a little silly or still a little bit kind of glammy almost. Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi. I'll never forget that. Check that episode. I keep forgetting we did a whole episode on them. That was so long ago. I would would probably fail if I had to if I had to list every episode off the top of my head. No chance. No, we've done we've done a lot. We've done a fucking lot. God, we've done a lot. Yeah, I guess that about wraps it up. So fucking we here we did it. We managed to do it remotely once again. Um Technology did not fail us this time. At least I don't think it has. Uh, but it's, thank you so much for listening and watching and hanging out. If you like the video, like the video, subscribe, do all that. Talk some shit in the comments. Tell us we're idiots. If you want to do that as well, you can follow me on all social media at Pounder Monkey and Alex on Instagram at Every Album Alex. Hell yes. Please follow our history guy, Tom Osmond, at Tom Osmond Sounds on all social media as well as TomOsmondSounds.com for all his music stuff. He has two albums out. His most recent being Industrial State of Mind, which he put out with Existent, Non-Existent. There's links to all those in the description. Check him out, please. Thank you. As well as my solo EP. Look at that as well, please, in the description. Uh, last but not least, of course, patreon.com slash every album ever. There we got bonus episodes. You get to see our schedule in advance. You get to vote on polls to decide who we cover next. I think we have a winner for the next poll. I easily uh, does. Boy, is it a decisive victory. But we have a winner for the next poll. We're probably going to set up another one soon. Um, you can also join our Discord, be a part of our little community. It's also where you suggest our EA singles episodes. We pick them all out from that uh, chat thing that we have on there. It's cool. Go there. Uh, if you're tier two, if you're bigger than Jesus, then you can suggest a full-ass discography for us to cover on our bigger, longer, numbered episodes. Uh, ones that are usually much longer than this one and with much more albums than this one. But still, yeah, go there for that one. Uh, it's cool. Please, thank you. Hell yes. Okay. Well, seeing as though you liked it much more than I did, what are we closing it with, Alex? You know what? This is still easy because it's long gone day. Hell yes. I couldn't agree more. So thank you so much for listening and watching. See ya.
got to bring